Happy Tuesday, my podcast family, and welcome to Caregiving is a Ministry, where we are looking at the Word of God through the lens of caregiving. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook. Today, we're going to be in 1 Peter, the first chapter, verses 3 through 5. The New American Standard Bible reads, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The um, Message Bible reads, What a God we have, and how fortunate we are to have him, this Father of our Master, Jesus, Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for, including a future in heaven. And the future starts now. God is keeping careful watch over us and the future. The day is coming when you will have it all, life healed and whole. As we go through life, there's a lot of opportunities to wait, right? When we are children, we can't wait until we're adults. When we are adults, we reminisce for the carefree life we had as children, right? In adulthood, we wait for graduation, whether it be from high school or college. And then when we're in our career fields, we wait for the opportunity to progress to the next levels. We wait to find our life partners. We wait to become pregnant. We wait for the diagnosis. Waiting, I believe, is not a part of life. It really makes up a large aspect of living. But I think the difference with the waiting that I described above is that we have an active role to do in that waiting process. When you're waiting to graduate from school, you're actively going to classes, you're doing the work. The same can be said in your career field where you're doing your job to the best of your ability with excellence and hoping to be appreciated and noticed for the next um, promotion. When you're looking for your life partner, you're dating, right? Yeah, he'll work, she'll work. No, she's not the one. You know, you're, you're active. Yet in some of the other scenarios, um, the waiting seems not to be tied or triggered to an active role on our part. The medical diagnosis, right? Something that you can't, do anything about wanting to get pregnant and and nature just not seeming to be allowing that to occur. It is in those waiting scenarios that we are to stand firm. And I want to highlight that once again, I'm going to do a comparison between the early church and African Americans, because after all, we're, we're still in Black History Month. And while I won't tie every episode this month to black history I will make the connection when the spirit leads me and today is one such occurrence the urgency of Jesus's return is now beginning to wane with the early believers when Peter wrote this letter believe it or not approximately 30 years had passed since Jesus's ascension to heaven 30 years guys 
So can we understand why Peter had to remind them that Jesus was going to return? It seems plausible. I mean, I understand because come on, 30 years? Wouldn't you begin to question if he was returning? <laughs> but now here we are some, what, over 2,000 years after his ascension and we're still waiting. But are we waiting with expectation and urgency like the early believers are? Or are we kind of like the early believers and hmm, our expectation of his return is beginning to wane a little bit? For African-Americans, we are still waiting to live in a country that recognizes us um, as human beings, not the caricatures or stereotypes that have been propagated throughout the world. God created mankind in his image. He made male and female and saw them as good and equal. Yet, they had different functions and roles, but equal in their humanity. Slaves took hold of this promise of Jesus being the salvific Savior who would not only save them from their sins, but liberate them from their bondage, as God did the Israelites in Egypt and throughout the Old Testament. In the civil rights movement, blacks or Negroes, as we were called back then, <laughs> looked to their faith in God and saw who saw them as human beings. And once again, a liberator and being considered a liberator from being considered less than humans by their government and fellow countrymen. Today's statistics show the disparity among African-Americans and white Americans in almost every human level of life experience, such as home ownership, salaries, education, career choices, and network, we all come in lower. Yet when the data examines life experiences such as rate of incarceration, poverty, health disparities, we rank disproportionately higher. You know, I was told by someone one time that the reason there were so many African-American men in prison was just because they were more prone to criminal activity. Can you believe that? That's, that's what propaganda does. The media um, would have us believe that that false narrative. And I'm not down on the media, especially here in America. I believe that we need to have an impartial media who keeps truth to power. But you need to be careful with who you consider a um, truthful source because there's so many out there. And nine times out of ten, what you find on the Internet is not going to be a truthful source when it comes to news. The question for us in this passage of scripture is this. How long are we to wait? And what are we to be doing while we're waiting? For both, we can take a clue from our sisters and brothers in the first century. Peter had to remind them of what they were waiting for as a means of encouraging them to continue with their wait reminding them of their inheritance in God that they would be receiving. And we too will receive that same inheritance that one day either he will call us home individually or when he returns, we will see Jesus again and our eternal residence will be made known to us. What a glorious day that will be. I like how the message states that we are to be on the lookout, maintaining a sense of urgency of Jesus's return. And I know that based on, well, we are to base, I guess, our faith on the fact, on that fact that Jesus is returning. Jesus is returning for us and we are to live accordingly. 
which leads us to the second question of what are we supposed to do while we're waiting? I really believe that the reason Jesus hasn't returned is because there's still work left to be done. Here, not only through winning souls, but making an impact in our community for just a better quality of life for individuals. And he's given that responsibility to guess who? You and me. Yes, we as the body of believers are here to point to Jesus, right? And we are to live our lives and allow our communities to see that, bettering our communities. Have you ever wondered how such suffering can occur in a society that claims to be Christian? I have, and that's probably why God has called me out (laughs) to do what I'm doing. But you and I both know he placed those questions in my heart, right? But even in my 20s and 30s, as I started, I was stationed in Germany and learning more about the Holocaust and visiting some of the concentration camps, which were horrific. That, That still just boggles my mind, as does Rwanda and all of that stuff. But in reference to the Holocaust, I often wondered, what were the churches doing, doing? in Europe I mean where were the Christians who knew that we didn't live under an eye for an eye or you know mentality the Christians who understood that Jesus came to die right so while technically the religious leaders stirred up the Jewish community to kill Jesus it was really our sins that screamed up toward heaven that required Jesus's death where were they Likewise, where were the Christians that knew God created all men equally and therefore the brutal and horrific ownership of slaves was not in alignment with the loving your brother as your neighbor? Where were the Christians who knew we weren't to covet our neighbor's possessions when five Native American tribes, approximately 60,000 people, were marched off their land in what is known as the Trail of Tears? Where were the women and men of God who knew the sin of showing favoritism as stated in James 2 when they enacted the Jim Crow laws? And where are the women and men of God today? What are you and I doing in the midst of the poverty and the discrimination that occurs today? Sadly, most of us are doing nothing. Must don't need most of us don't even consider matters outside of our own little comfort zone. But God wants us to be concerned to the point of action for our neighbors, to better our communities. In answering question one, we are to wait until Jesus return. We're just waiting. Whenever he he, he comes. How long? We don't know. And that shouldn't be our concern. We are to exercise our faith, knowing that he will appear even though it may seem as he's tarrying about 2,000 years one would say yeah but with the confidence that he will return and while we are waiting we are to be active just like little ducks on a pond who on the surface look like they're floating on top of the water but if you look underneath their little feet are just paddling they're in motion we're to be in motion collectively we are to be praying for the healing of our, of our nations, of our communities, of our countries. But to not only be concerned about our particular cultural background, but for everyone. As we, as we all continue 
to strive for the same thing. But as long as we draw those lines that divide us and pit our cultures or our cultural experiences against other cultural experiences, and I mean like African Americans versus Asian Americans or Asian Americans versus Native Americans, we will never reach what we all crave for. There's not an us versus them, but an us versus us or an us and us. There's no versus. It's us and us because we all want the same thing. The reality is we are already equal in God's eye. The word says that. We need to acknowledge that every human being is equal no matter where they come from. Therefore, what we are fighting for isn't equality, but equity, which means to be fair and impartial, to allow everyone to come to the table on equal footing. But we aren't fair or impartial in our behaviors as believers. We, in the body of Christ, draw defensive lines in the sand with our denominations at times and with color, with gender, all of that. This is what the world sees in us. So is there any wonder (laughs) the world continues to do the same? No. What we're to do is as we pray for ourselves, because we do need to lift up our needs, then our family, then our community of believers, then our local community, then our individual countries, and then the world. You see the progression? You start close and you get further and further out like a ripple. Then we ask God specifically, what does he want us to do? In this fight, to live as children of his kingdom, displaying that to a world. Because we're the change makers through him. That's why Philippians says, you can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens you. Because you need his strength to make, put things into being, into practice. We're the change agents. As our brothers and sisters continue to stand up for their faith in the first century, and as those brave believers known as the abolitionists stood up to a society that profited off of free human labor, and to those believers who stood up to Jim Crow, we are to stand up against voter suppression. We are to stand for women being able to make their own choices to stand against gender discrimination, you and me. This is why we're still waiting for the return of the Savior, because he's waiting on us. The only reason I believe we get discouraged in the waiting process at times is because we're not engaged and we're so focused on me, me, me. I'm speaking for myself. That's why I can testify to this, that we forget that we're part of a bigger mission. We forget the responsibility that God has assigned us. As mature Christians, we understand that we may not see the answer to our prayers in this lifetime. Our our brothers and sisters in the first century didn't, right? My ancestors who were brought over here on boats didn't see the end of slavery in their time frame. And alas, some of the people who were fighting in the Civil War didn't see what we experience now. But we remember the vision. That's why the vision is so important. And you can ask Rebecca. (laughs) We need to hold true to the vision that God gives us. And we press forward toward that mark that Paul talked about. Not requiring us to necessarily see the end, but consistently working toward that end. Because remember, we're in a relay race. 
And so at some point, we'll have to pass the baton. And, and in someone's lifetime, they will experience what we've been working for. Right? And yes, I know that caregiving is a full-time job. But the very first offensive tool that we have as Christians is on our knees, praying for equity and equality in our countries, praying for those who have been given the assignment to speak truth to power. As family caregivers here in America, we don't have all the resources that we need. And that is something to fight for. While I was stationed in Hawaii in my Seroptimus group, we had a day where we, um, we um, went to the Capitol and we lobbied for family caregivers. And I was able to sit down with four Congress representatives and speak to the level of frustration I, I had experienced when I was trying to get aid for my mother and me. And I remember pointing out that the state actually saved money when families took the brunt of caregiving. And I recall when I made that statement, the eyebrow of one of the congressmen went up. So me picking up on that, I just went in for the kill to hone in the point. I said, you know, the fact that family members are, are, are taking in the brunt of what the, the state would do, I'm like, we are caring for our family members. I said, and if we get to a point where we can't care for our family members, then the alternative is to place them in a state facility, which would raise the cost of senior care exponentially. And he nodded. You know, making them see the larger picture here and how it could impact everyone. So you sacrifice a little up front so that you don't have to sacrifice an enormous amount later on that has far-reaching impact. But of course, one visit isn't enough. I wasn't able to go back each year, but I know my club did. And because change comes very slowly, but it comes when there is a consistent and deliberate effort behind it. Beloved, we are to be about our Father's business. After you pray and seek God's guide and seek God's guidance, ask what else you can do and realize that you have assignment to be a change agent in your community. We are to wait for God expectantly, but he's not asking us to be still. He's asking us to get in the fight. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for being a God who is true to your promise. And even though it may seem to us as if you are taking an extraordinarily long time to come back and set things right, we acknowledge today that there are things that you've put in our grasp that we can set in motion to set things right. Forgive us for being a people who have been myopic in our needs, for only looking at what benefits us, for not caring about our neighbors. Forgive us for the selfishness. Today we relinquish that, Lord, and we come to you asking you to show us what we can do to help our neighbors to do better. In this era of the pandemic, we see how people are struggling. But we aren't struggling. So that means you've given us the ability to help others. Show us what that is. Help us to get involved in our communities to make it a better place, not just for one group of people, but for everyone. Help us to acknowledge that we are all created equal. 
but we need to be equitable and fair, as you have pointed out in your word over and over again, to be just. That that's what we as the children, your children, are called to do, to live that before a world that sees injustice all the time. You have placed in our hearts various things that you would have us to do and and, and various assignments. Some of us you have made... um, local change agents you put us on various committees in our communities and city council and board members and congressmen and senators and all of that father but you place us there so that we can look at the entirety to make things fair for everyone help us to know the truth of who you are that you don't see a respecter of persons but that you love all of us and that you died for all of us and that we don't need to be worried that you will never provide for us because we know that you are the God who provides and takes care of your own and that our inheritance has been sealed and that you are our protector. Help us to stand boldly on your word and to go out and make a difference, a positive difference in our communities. Bless the caregivers who are feeling strapped Let them be mighty prayer warriors for those of us who are able to get out and do. Help us to realize as a body of believers that when we get on our knees, we are a mighty force. We love you, but more importantly, you love us. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, my caregiving family, go and minister the act of caregiving in the name of Jesus. That's active. That's being busy. Bye.